All right. Let's Ever laugh. Ever laugh again. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks for hanging in there with us. This is like take 36. But if you were watching this or listening to this via podcast, this is our first time doing this. We've got no tech issues. But if you did catch us live, thanks for hanging with us. We're, we are here for our weekly production of, of Overtime, which is a deeper dive into the weekend message. Um, we are glad that you're here. What we hope is that you are challenged and that you grow from these conversations. This is always kind of part two. We always encourage you to watch that first, uh, first watch the weekend message, to listen to it and be part of that, and then be able to come to this as we can talk about questions that you have. This week, we've got a couple questions from our listeners, um, but the desire is to grow in our relationship. So we do want to give your attention to a couple different things, specifically regarding our Christmas Eve service. We are going to have several different options that we want you to know about for this Christmas Eve. So today it's the 22nd. So in two days on Thursday, we have three different Christmas Eve services. The first ones that I'll talk about are online at both five, seven and nine. We have got an online service where you can just go to our website, log in, click the watch live tab, and it'll be kind of like what, what we normally do on a Sunday um, or on a weekend service, you can watch that way. You can also participate if you're interested in an in-person live service. We are going to be doing a five o'clock indoor service for anybody that's RSVP. We need you to RSVP just because of the regulations with COVID. We want to try and make sure that we can do our very best to keep everybody socially distant and do everything that we can to be responsible and good stewards of the space that we have with people coming into our facility. So ask you to RSVP. There is only about 50 spots left. So if you're interested in being in person indoors, Sign up for that as soon as possible. Once we hit that 250 mark, we will not likely be taking anybody else inside the building. Then also we are planning on doing an outdoor seven o'clock service as well. So that seven o'clock service is going to be all from the parking lot. The initial plan is that we're going to be doing worship. We're gonna be doing message and is a little bit weather dependent. We will be doing an out outdoor service at seven o'clock, regardless of what the weather is, but that weather could change whether we have a full band, whether we're able to set up additional sound equipment. So some of that may change a little bit, but overall, if you're looking for in-person, five o'clock is, is the time to go, RSVP for that. If that fills up or you can't make it, seven o'clock, we will be doing it outside as well. We'd love for you to be a part of that. Or at five, seven or nine, there's an online option as well. So I think that is probably all the information that we have for now. I guess I should also mention that this Sunday, December 27th, we're calling it Home for the Holidays. We will not be doing an in-person service. All of our services will be held on a virtual platform online on this coming Sunday, December 27th. We will still do message. We'll still do worship. We'll still have a normal church service. However, it's just not going to be hosted in person or in our parking lot, but it will be hosted online. So feel free to be a part of that. Invite a friend, friend, family member that can join you as you watch from the comfort of your home. And we will be excited to be back on January 3rd for a, a standalone message. So hey, ben, that's kind of the announcements that we have. I, yeah. I don't think I published this, so we're going to have to start over. Okay. I'm just joking. Gotcha. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. We're actually moving. Really? Are we live? You're okay, live. good. Because I was like, uh, this will be just the 37th <laughs> take of today. So at this point, we're just rolling with the punches. So anyway, as long as we are still live, yeah, that I think is all the kind of announcements that we have. I'm going to kind of turn it over to you and let you give a recap of week five 
of God with us, the series that we're on. Well, since I haven't shared this at all before, it sounds nice to give a recap right here for the very first time live. Um, week five, God with us. If you've been with us, probably if you're in this, you've probably been with us. We've uh, kind of week 23, I think maybe 24 of a larger series, this being kind of a sub-series within the bigger series, a larger series called the Gospel of Luke or Luke's Gospel. Really big idea is that you may have certainty. What I mean by that is Luke, one of the biographers of Jesus' life, uh, writes an entire biography about Jesus' life, we'd say inspired by the Holy Spirit, using his gifts and talents and experiences, education, all those things to put together kind of a an entire biography that he tells us he writes so that we can have certainty of the things we've been taught. So a biographer knows life so that we can have certainty of the things you've been taught. So you go, okay, what is it that he wants us to have certainty of? And the real picture of what he wants to have certainty of is actually a Jesus. Uh, so if you don't understand the gospel, don't know the gospel, kind of the whole idea of all the Bible, the whole and the whole idea of the entire world for all eternity. If you want to go, what's the purpose, meaning of life? Here's what it is. It's that we could be with God forever. That's it. That we could be in his presence and we could be in partnership with him, enjoying his world, his creation, and enjoying him forever. That's the whole goal of the gospel. In other words, the whole goal is that God wants us to be with him, God with us. And so Luke writes it to have certainty about that, that we can have certainty that God is with us in Jesus. And it goes back hundreds of years before Jesus is born when Isaiah tells us, hey, you'll you'll know that there'll be a baby. He'll be born of a virgin and they will name him Emmanuel, that, the Hebrew word for God with us. And so what we've been doing the last several weeks is really paying attention to God being with us, not as a baby in the pageantry, but what does it look like for God to actually step in, put on human flesh, as Eugene Peterson says, and move into the neighborhood, right? And so what does it look like for God to be with us? So we've just been walking through Jesus, the beginning of Jesus' ministry where he's going to start being with people. He's going to recruit them. He's going to invite them in. Really, you should pay attention to this week's sermon coming this Sunday because you're going to see how you start a revolution with 12 weird ragamuffins. And so what we've seen the last couple weeks is Jesus keeps interacting with people. But there's this real conundrum and confusion for a lot of people who would have would have defined themselves as godly or religious or spiritual because they completely missed the exit and the point in their understanding of why God wrote a Bible because the Old Testament has a bunch of rules in it. And they're going, no, the goal of this is for you to follow the rules. And it's like, oh, no, that's not what the rules are there for. The number one objective of the rules is to convince us that we cannot follow them. So it's been pretty neat is there's some, some kind of teetotalers, some people who are pretty uh, pretty rigid about rules. And I've uh, been introduced to them in the last couple of weeks, the scribes. Those are the, the scholars. They're both the writers of the law, I mean, in terms of the copiers, and, you know, and also the interpreters and the, the teachers and the handlers of the scriptures and kind of their followers, the Pharisees. And so week in and week out, Jesus is going to do something that doesn't go along with what they thought the rules are, and they're going to try to correct the God of the universe. And he's going to... He's going to give them a better understanding of the rules and the goal, which is him and us forever. And over and over again, he's going to go, you, you're so caught up in the rules that you lost sight of the ruler. And so kind of the big idea in this past week, and we'll work through it as we look through the scriptures, is this. It's your number one priority is not to follow rules. Some of you really are excited about that. Others of you who like your rules aren't so much excited about it. Your number one priority is not to follow the rules. Your number one priority, moms, dads, kids, all of you, is to follow the one who rules. Okay, uh, your number one priority. Your your job is not to find security in the rules. Your job is to find security in the one who rules. Your job is not to find comfort 
and the rules. Your job is to find comfort in the one who rules. Your job is not to t- take control with the rules. Your job is to submit to the control of the one who rules. You follow? So, so Jesus is going to give us a better understanding of the rules. In fact, he says it this way. He is the Lord of the Sabbath or the Lord of the rules. He sits above the rules. And all the rules' goal was to point to him and our opportunity to be in his presence, God with us forever, and be in partnership, partnership with him in the reconciliation of of our world and so another week trying to figure out what does it mean to be in god's presence and be in his partnership so lots of fun that's what we covered this past weekend yeah so as as you kind of started the series or started this week not the series you were talking about kind of the review of the ten commandments and then you talk about the additional what was it 600 laws that were added then. yeah who's counting though yeah <laughs> so talked about that and then you were even talking about I, I wrote it in my notes i'm probably going to destroy it um you you talked about the 39 rules of of millishock i think that's how you said it yeah i, I don't have any Something i can't like help that. you that mela m-e-l-a-c-h-o-t millishock that's how i say it real fast okay so yeah so that comes in the word m-e-l-a-c-h-a so let's just pronounce it like americans malachia malaka whatever however we okay. mess that up but it literally comes from the word work, but not the work that you think of the word work. It actually comes from the work meaning to create, to create. Okay. And so so we get a picture of that for six days of creation. God is at work, Malasha or Malaka, yeah. uh, and he is creating. And then he rests and marvels on the seventh day at his creation. He enters into the joy of that right, rest, right. right? And so, um, so we see that something about the way that we create and produce. And so what happened is uh, rabbinical or rabbis got together and goes, well, you know, it's pretty easy to justify how this isn't really work or that wouldn't really be creating. Well, that wouldn't be the thing. And so they right. kind of go, well, how do we actually help people understand for the checklist, right? We like our checklist, be very yeah, clear. We, right. like our, we like our policies. In fact, I wrote it in my notes and didn't really cover it, but it's, it's interesting how much we like policies. And the reason we don't like, we like policies is because we like control. We think other people are foolish, yeah. and we don't really like personal conversations. For example, let's say at our church, we don't we think somebody on our staff or one of our elders says stupid stuff on Facebook, right? Like, oh, <laughs> I wish you'd stop saying that. So instead of going and having the conversation with a staff member or having a conversation right. with an elder, it's like, oh, let's just type out an email, create a new policy that says you can't talk about politics or sexuality right. on Facebook, right? Because it's easier to have a policy, blanket policy, than it is to actually have a personal conversation. So rabbinical law is like, oh, that guy did something. I saw him cutting his grass. I saw him doing this. Oh, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta write the laws for it. So what they did is they went and they looked through, uh, kind of what constituted creation work, and uh, what they found okay. is uh, in the directives from God in terms of the tabernacle. There's just all these things that were went into that kind of work, creating the tabernacle, and so they wrote them all down and put together. Uh, 39 laws. Now, the reason it's 39, not 40, yeah. as I told you. And this is more an assumption than it is like written out, but you see this number show up a lot where kind of 40 is just a harsh number. 40 okay. days, 40 nights on the uh, of rain and storms, that's pretty harsh. you know. And so even in the New Testament, you see even in Roman culture, like you could beat someone with 39 lashes, right? Because 40 supposedly could kill you, but one lasso seems less harsh. So okay, when people, I guess maybe the rabbis got together and go, this is a lot of rules. Okay, let's just drop off one of those. You can arm wrestle on the Sabbath. <laughs> okay, so okay. 39 rules, yep. I mean, that arm wrestling yeah, thing so, I just made up. I mean, I don't think they Yeah, I figured, I figured that she did the arm wrestling thing. But uh, yeah, what was, uh, you've said this before, but basically looking at those commandments, the 10 commandments, and then all these additional rules that were added to it, um, is that it really, 
from the beginning of time as God created and brought things into existence, right? Like he was the solution. It wasn't that we would find salvation in rules and law. And you use two illustrations that I just feel are worth repeating. An MRI machine doesn't, it, it doesn't, you know, fix the problem. It can only show you or point to the problem. And then the other example that you use is that when you're like talking, calling a dog and you're trying to point, like, look at that. They don't look at where you're looking. They look at the end of your finger. And so I just thought that those were, were good to repeat um, as an illustration and understanding, because I guess what I'm asking is that were the scribes and the Pharisees, like what had become of this, um, you know, of God's people was that they become rule followers. Is that accurate to, to kind of generalize all of them? Yeah, well, here's what it is. And I think we can recognize this even as adults, if you're an adult listener or a parent. One of the things is life gets pretty chaotic, right? And yeah. there, there are some pretty interesting responses to chaos, like for me, for you, for all of us. And one of the responses to chaos is actually to focus on what you can control. Right. Yeah. Okay. I can't worry about all that, but here I can like some of you, like some of us, yeah. like one of the things we do is we organize our life. Like, so we get everything in order. Yeah. We work on our closet. We get rid of stuff, right? Everything else seems completely chaotic and it, you know, beyond our control. So what do we do? We, we focus on the things we think we can control. And so part of the natural response, I mean, it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. They're going, everything else is chaotic. Well, you know what we can do? We can hide, right? We can just get our own yeah. little bubble, avoid everything else, get our own little world where we try to be Lord of it. And so kind of our natural inclination as humans is to try to be Lord of the thing we can be Lord of if, if we feel like nothing else we can. So in light of that, what you see is, I mean, rabbis are just like us. They, they have some awareness. They stuff it just like we do. But if you sit still long enough, the reality is they understand control is an illusion. There's just so much, so little they can control. So what do they do? They focus on the things they can control which okay we got a checklist we got rules let's just lean in there we don't think we just have to do the right thing and correct people if they do the wrong thing and now at least we have a system that works for us and because the system works for them that's kind of the system that they continue to follow like one of the most broken parts of the church in 2020 is leaders leading a system that works for them i mean let me just be real candid one of the complications of being a pastor right now is okay not, not I mean, what I have to check my heart on all the time is, okay, does the system of showing up at church, taking up an offering, paying the bills work for me, right? Okay, I can pay my yeah. mortgage now. And so it's like sometimes it's hard to separate, like, God's kingdom and where we're supposed to be pointing with what's right in front of us and what we can control. And so yeah. not, not appropriately or rightly, but honestly, you got some Pharisees and some religious leaders have found a system that they had lived in their whole life that they had made work for them. Right. So same mm. thing with us. So 40 hour work week works for us. The, you know, the 30 yeah. years of mortgage debt works for us. So crazy. Some of these things that we just do because it just works for us. And so they just found a system that wasn't perfect. They probably, if they were being honest, knew it wasn't the greatest system or the most appropriate system, but it worked for them. So okay. they get focused yeah. on that and people flock to them to understand the rules. And so they clung to the rules as their guiding light. Like, so the thing is, and this is why it's so interesting when Jesus, when John decides to tell us the gospel, uh, the story, the nativity of Jesus showing up, he uses this imagery of light and darkness, right? Light and darkness, light and darkness. That light came and the darkness couldn't overcome it. The problem was the Old Testament rabbis and many held up the rules and the laws like they were the light. 
right? Yeah. And so even when it, and they, they would have argued, and I, I would argue, like, his word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And of course, it's his word that's the light. Well, only if it's his word in his heart that's pointing us to him that's the light. That, you know, it's not the rules that are light. It's the rule giver who is the light. So even if you go to Psalm chapter 1, it says they learn to delight in the law, not because of law, but because of the law giver. And so I think that's why I like the imagery of the pointing finger going, trying to yeah. point you to the light. But you have decided that you're going to look at this finger as if it's the light. And so you got that yeah. one. And the other one I use a good bit. The MRI, I don't even know where I first started that. It wasn't me. I mean, I didn't create it. But there's other ones that we talk about, like the Ten Commandments being a reagent, right? So I want to talk about yeah. like national treasure. You know, when you pull up the Constitution on the back, there's this hidden map. And they take the, the uh, lemon juice and put it on there and cook it. And all of a sudden, something gets revealed. Well, the reality is that map was always there. The only thing is that lemon juice was what's called a reagent. It just brought out to light what was hidden before, right? Same thing with MRI. It wasn't like the cancer was already there. It just brought to light what was already there. And so the rules, they're, I mean, wow, I would argue you should follow. Your life will be better for it. Uh, The reality is the first step of the rules is to understand that we can't follow them, to bring that out. That's why this helps me resolve the fruit in the garden. It doesn't make God some evil, manipulative you know, psychopath. He's not like, ha you can't have the fruit. He's going, let me go ahead and put front and center the fact that you're going to need a savior. And so the fruit, like the laws, are just to, you know, reveal to us how broken our lives are and how much we need a savior. So uh, the problem yeah. is the Pharisees treated it as God and found their hope and joy in the rules, not their hope and joy in the one rules. Yeah. So I do want to ask a question about kind of Sabbath. So we're talking about rules, but we're going to specifically look because this is where the text takes us, right? Luke is specifically kind of focusing on two Sabbath events that take place. But what was the significance of Sabbath? Because I feel like you did a a good job um, kind of talking about this on Sunday, but maybe just a quick recap for us, because I think that Sabbath is something that's important both for believers today to practice that we don't necessarily do, but also to understand the significance of it as God created. Yeah, so when we think about the goal of the gospel, it's for God and us to be together forever in presence and in partnership. So some of us probably should know this. We will work in heaven, right? I mean, like, there will be a job to do because Adam had some tasks to do long before the fall. It wasn't like, now you got to work. No, now work will be toilsome and wearisome. But in the beginning, there was something about getting to participate in the kingdom work. And so there will always be a time to work. There will always be a time to participate in creation or recreation. But there also is a time to sit and reflect and enter into the joy of his rest. Like, I am driven probably to a fault and militant about the the parable of talents, right? This idea that Jesus entrusts to us certain things and he wants us to be good stewards of them. But the beautiful part about that story is how Jesus responds to those who did a good job in partnership with him, right? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful to little. Now, here's some more. But then it says, now enter into the joy of your master and his rest, right? So there's just something about that peace. And so God didn't need to rest. He is a all-sustaining God. It's like he's like, I need a day because I'm so tired. It was like there was just this natural rhythm of going, we work and we and we yeah. we find joy in working, but then we find joy in the peace and the rest that comes from the Lord. So there just was this natural rhythm built in. And 
if we don't have that natural rhythm, more than likely we're going to lose sight of the one who rules, right? Because what yeah. happens is now for seven days I got to work and I can't take off a day because I find this lie, the same thing that the Pharisees believe that if it's to be, it's up to me. And if I take a break, then something will fall apart. Like in this arrogance that now I'm the one responsible and I'm the one that created these rules I need to follow. So what the Sabbath does is it, I mean, it's, it, it's so much more nuanced than just this, but what the Sabbath does, it gives us a day to enjoy God's mm. peace and rest. And so everything about the Sabbath is foreshadowing to what it looks like one day to enjoy God in his presence, right? Because yeah. we live in a fallen world, and so every single week there's this opportunity to live in that rhythm that, nope, I'm not in control. Nope, my security isn't found in my job. Nope, my, my fulfillment isn't found in what I produce oh, for one day a week. I get to reset and pause. And so you see this rhythm created in the scriptures, both on once a year or once a week and then uh, once every se- a year, once every seven years, once every 70 years or 49 years, yeah, all yeah, these yeah. things of just these moments where everything just gets reset back into the way it's supposed to be. The way you can think about it is like for those of us who have computers, we know eventually you have to reboot them and do those things. It's like this, this reset that happens. And so I would say if you find that your computer, your mind, your body is working way too slow or way too quirky, what I would point out is it probably is an indication that you haven't entered into the joy of your master's rest mm-hmm. in some time. And so that should be a regular part of our rhythm, not because God loves us more when we do it or that we earn something when we do it, but just the exact opposite. It reminds us that we don't have to earn something and we don't have yeah. to get more love. It's that one day a week he created this system. Now for us, we go, Oh, that's really neat because we're American and we get two days a week off. Great. But when this was implemented, <laughs> it was so significant because he implemented it to Moses and his, and the Israelites who had right. been enslaved. Right. Like, so they didn't right. get a moment's rest. Much less today. Yeah, so they didn't they, get a say in that. No, someone has told them what they're doing. Here's the rules. You follow them. If you don't, you you get punished. And all of a sudden, God goes, no, no, no. Listen, like, you don't have to do anything. Well, what about our food? No, I want to provide that for you. Well, what about? No, 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 no. You're, this is this is a reset into understanding that your, your number one provider is not yourself or your mom or your dad. God is the source of your provision. So it's lost some of the, the value added because we are kind of just entitled to – you know, 40-hour work weeks or whatever else it is, instead mm. of really understanding the gift that God gave us in this time to enter into his rest. Yeah. Well, I want to read kind of along those those thoughts. Um, one of our listeners sent this question in, yeah. um, kind of a regular, appreciate the questions. Love when any, any of you guys send yeah, us anything. Thanks. We love when you can help be a part of that. So here's kind of what this this person said. They said, when talking about his disciples, um, first of all, I should say that they said another great sermon, Josh. Thanks. That's nice. Um, yeah. When talking about uh, talking about his disciples, you paraphrase Jesus as saying they have entered into my rest and presence rather than finding comfort, security, peace in the rules. This is kind of what we're talking about, where we'll continue to go as we talk. He said in today's world, with its pandemic, political upheavals, financial pressure, job insecurity, cyber attacks and more. What does it look like to enter Christ's rest? From a practical standpoint, how do you actually do that? Uh, yes, that's a, re- oh, that's a really good question. And um, I'm sorry, I just knocked my drink over, but I drank it all, so we're good. Um, so, what does it look like to actually enter into his rest? And I think you know, there's some really yeah. good books out there. Uh, Jerry and Pete Scazzaro write some books about emotionally healthy spirituality. Ruth Haley Barton writes one about strength and soldier leadership. Mm. But one of the things that 
uh, they all have kind of in common is this idea of being versus doing, right? Yeah. And uh, so when I think about entering into rest, it really is subtracting the doing and replacing it with the being. What I mean by that is we're not human human doings or human beings, and you've heard that. It's a, it's a pretty common statement. But, I mean, there is this real understanding that when you enter into his rest, it's about being, not doing, right? And so yeah. it, what that means is rest should be defined as you not trying to earn some kind of merit. So when you think about legalism, the whole idea is that somehow I earn my value or I earn my love or I earn some kind of merit for my work. So one of the things mm-hmm. I think – we get confused about when we think about entering into his rest and Sabbath. It's like, okay, I can't do anything. Sit still, do nothing. And it's like, well, it should be life-giving. There should be something about enjoying the fruit of what God's given us, but it has to do more with checking your, your intentions. Okay. So Mm. like, for example, um, last Christmas, I wanted to go, okay, what can I do just to pause for the long, busy season, rough season, all these kind of things? And so I actually decided to build a, a, a study. Like, this is my study. I'll show you the whole thing. It's kind of messy right now. But you see, so I decided to build a study. Like, and so I put up this big, oh gosh, I have to go back this way because my, my um, headphones. So this is like my big marker board wall, right? And I built some <laughs> shelves. Those are some of our Hot Wheels cars right there. And so this is just a small little room that I can just go and hide in and so the first question when i was going to build it was am i building this uh because oh gosh i was talking i'm sure my audio went real bad can you hear me okay sorry about that uh, yeah it sounds okay. fine it you went out a little bit but sorry not about terrible that, guys. yeah it's anything about that uh, so but yeah so when you build it you go okay what's the purpose of this is it because i'm going to add value to our home by having a home office is that is that the goal or if i do this or that is my wife going to love me more or is my kids going to be more impressed with me or is it that I'm doing this to actually distract myself from what I need to focus on, right? And so there's a lot of things you got <laughs> silly as it is to go, okay, let me check my spirit. Let me check my intentions on this. Like the question is, why are you doing what you're doing? But then I would say, comma, really? Like two questions. Why am I doing this? No, really, why are you doing this? And if it has anything to do that somehow life will get better for you or you'll be worth more or someone will care more about you as the result, that is not entering into rest if it's co-laboring with god and just enjoying his creation and just to be for a second that's rest so it doesn't mean that you can't go play golf right it doesn't mean that you can't go hang out and talk to friends it's something about literally creating a rhythm where you are entering into a some moments where you are not trying to create or add value or progress it's more about being in those moments and so what we understand in the scriptures is it says Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness to pray. And so I would say the second part about that is not only what's life-giving to you, but the other thing is, is there a way by which you can drown out all the other noise, right? Mm-hmm. And so one of the reasons I like to work tactically with my hands is sitting still, like just sitting, is, it's just really hard for me. Not that I don't need to learn it and that can be a good practice for all of us. But like I find that walking or running or doing something with my hands or feet is actually more engaging to my mind in that. And there's, you know, yeah. there's, there's 2000 years of history. John Medina's brain rules talk a lot about this, this idea that you learn more and gather more and process more while you're actually on a treadmill or something. So I have found that when I'm active and listening to a podcast or a sermon or when I'm active and just clear my mind and just spending some time with God, I find that more helpful than just trying to like 
sit down and go, Josh, you have to do this. You have to do this. If you're, if you're yeah. trying to force yourself to do it, it's the exact opposite of what Sabbath and right. rest should look right. like. Like it should be something that should be enjoyable and pleasurable. It should get to the point where yeah. you don't dread it, right? And so, yeah. but some of that is um, is strengthening some muscles that you've never used before. So what I just argue is it, it makes sense if God says, honor, you know, Worship God, keep the Sabbath, keep it holy, all those things. That word holy literally means to be set apart or separate or different than the other six days. So how do you define a time that's just different where you can enjoy just being rather than have to feel like you're doing? Yeah, I feel like that's to answer that that question, like how do you actually do that? I feel like if for me, I have to guard and protect that Sabbath, like I feel like if I allow myself, I can get so busy or so, um, you know, fill my schedule and do other things that I, I, I just don't have time for it. Right. Like things are squeezed out. So I feel like for me, I have to guard and protect that time and make sure that I'm, I'm taking Sabbath because I also recognize that when I don't have Sabbath and I don't do a great job with this. Like, I feel like last week I, I maybe took a half day of Sabbath. It wasn't a full day of rest. And so I feel like what happens is that if I don't get that time mentally, man, I'm in a different place. Like there's a different fatigue. There's a different um, frustration. There's a lot of different things there. So I feel like I get this question. It is challenging. It is hard, but I think that you can do it. It just might mean that you have to guard and protect that time and set aside that time. Yeah. So one thing to me, I need to unplug my computer. Uh, one of the things that I think is really important in Sabbath in that is uh, one of the, the big arguments that I used to use and I hear it a lot is, well, I just feel selfish, right? Like I just feel selfish to, uh, sorry, well, I'm not charging. What a day with computers, sir. Uh, yeah, so I just feel, <laughs> sorry, this dies, we're, we're all in big trouble again. <laughs> if we disappear, thanks for oh, joining we us. We got it, we got it, got it. Got it. Got <laughs> all right, good, good. So one of, the, one of the things you hear a lot is, I just feel selfish taking a day and I'm like, I get that and understand it, but let's just be honest. Actually, not taking a day is a lot more selfish. No, and yeah. I'm not talking about selfish as in eventually you'll get rest and you'll be better at caring for others. No, what's selfish, what I mean by that is being so self-centered that there is this arrogance that believes if you don't do these things seven days a week, that mm. the world stops. So it's not, I'm not even talking about like in the, the byproduct, which is what we focus on. Well, if you rest, you're a better husband. Yeah. I, I, all, all true, but... Still misses the meaning of just being, and so what's really selfish and oh, egocentric is this belief that we are so valuable and our time is so meaningful and our work is so significant that when, that there's just there's just no way we could pause for a day because the world around us crashes. And I'm like, that's actually really selfish, maybe even narcissistic. Yeah. So not that I'm trying yeah. to call out anything, but I'm just going. That's just what I'm learning. Is like, boy, when I don't rest. It's it, maybe there's some false humility in it, like oh, what was me? I got so much stuff to do. The reality is, and let me just speak candidly here: every single human's given the exact same amount of time, right? So yeah, right. you're too busy. I used to think that was such a great reflection of man, I worked so hard, and now it's like actually, when I start talking about that, what I'm really doing is being pretty arrogant that my time mm. is so significant that God doesn't get any of it. The problem mm. I'm talking about that way is that we should never go about the Sabbath or come into the Sabbath out of guilt or manipulation. So we got to kind of yeah. pause and go, oh, okay, let me think about this from a different angle. But then also let me enter into this. 
with the joy of the master, not, oh, I better do this yeah. because I don't want to be selfish, or I better do this because I don't want to be arrogant, or I better do this because God will be disappointed in me. I just think it's hard to, it, you know, this is the same thing we talked about last week, this is hard to expositorially teach, because it's like, but it's not, yeah. the only way to do this is experiential, like to actually participate in it time and time again, and eventually, eventually, it'll take a while, but you actually look forward to it and be glad when you save yeah. it, glad when you rest. At least that's what I've been told. <laughs> I feel like I, I get excited. Yeah. Like when I, uh, there's, there's, there, uh, I'll say, I feel like, like I get an exhale and that's how it feels like. So I feel like, I don't know if I can fully relate to everything that you're saying, but I feel like for me, that exhale is really important. And I appreciate yeah, it. That's so. actually a really good, that's a really good statement because I even find that in breathing, Right, like there are times yeah. when we get really overwhelmed, and you're breathing really fast, and sometimes it's really hard to slow down and breathe. Like, you know, I'm talking about like yeah. the seven, like the the square breathing: breathe in five, hold for five, breathe out, hold. You know, those kind of things. But when you do, never is there time after you get done slowing down your breath that you're like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Right, like it's it's hard right. work right. and it to kind of pause and kind of you know submit yourself in that way to your breathing or to the lord but in that i think you are always grateful afterwards for the time we spent doing those things yeah yeah so i want to jump into kind of the text so we talked about the sabbath kind of talked about the pharisees and the scribes being really these rule followers and it was it was about the legalism it wasn't about the kind of the relationship with christ and what god was pointing to so luke then goes into you know chapter 6 verse 1 Sabbath, the disciples are walking through a grain field. The disciples pluck and ate some of the, the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. The Pharisees said, why are you doing this? It's not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And then Jesus' response said, have you not read what David, when David was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread uh, of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So I'm kind of taking these 11 verses and splitting the first half and we'll That's get right, into yes. the second half. Two different but, Sabbath moments, yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about that first Sabbath moment. So what is actually happening here? Like, why is it supposedly unlawful? And then Jesus kind of answers with a story about David. Like, And you go into this in the message, but anything more or specifically that you wanted to talk about in this first part of that? Yeah, so, uh, I mean... The initial reaction is, how dare they steal the, you know, the grain? That's, right. that's where you go right. first. Like, they're just walking, taking people's food, just like walking and eating the fruit on the tree or, you know, like, which yeah, by the way. Yeah, you can't is, do that today. Yeah, which which I wish you could. It's so beautiful, actually. Like, it makes me, mm -hmm. honestly, I read this and go, we should plant an orchard, right? Like, mm -hmm. we should just plant orchards all over our property and just tell people, come, get as much as you need. We got 60 acres, like. Just this yeah. sustenance. And so anyway, you got right. more to think about as it goes to food and giving it away. And uh, 2021 is a year of all that stuff. But but that's clearly covered. Like, I mean, it, it, it actually, yeah. yeah. So it's clearly covered in the scriptures that that is not an issue at all. Deuteronomy 23 says you can do that. You can walk up to your pro neighbor's property. Right. So, but so you got to go back to, okay, the Malachot or Malachot or whatever it is that there's actually some things you can't create. Some of it is you can't prepare food. Now, to this day, and Orthodox Judaism, like you can't start a fire on the Sabbath, which mm -hmm. means cutting on a light switch is starting a fire. Like it's creating yeah. an ignition. And so 
some of those things, there's some workarounds, like, you know, and, and uh, let me speak to that real quick anyway. There's some workarounds where they have, like, automated lights, right? They just cut, on, yeah. cut off and some automated things that your, like, your oven can cook or whatever it is. And it's like, I, I had an oven with the yeah. Sabbath mode, like, yeah. and I accidentally somehow turned it on and I thought I broke it, but I had to be explained what a Sabbath mode was, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you have all those things. And what's interesting, and, and I find people doing this a lot, just to be honest with you guys, is that I find people judging the Amish in this way. What, you can't do this, but yeah. I saw these people with this, and they store their stuff in someone else's freezer. Like, It's like what we want to do is point out the hypocrisy of someone else's rules. Like somehow – like. They're not your rules. Like you don't have to follow them. Yeah, but right. Leave the rest of the people alone. Like you don't follow them. So why in the world do you need to judge someone else for whether or not they follow them correctly? Like right, right. what you're trying to point out, I guess, is uh, the how silly the rules are. And I'd go, you know what? They think your thirty more year mortgage is really silly. <laughs> yeah, they do. They yeah, think that's right. they think all your loans and your zero percent interest for thirty six months, whatever. It's, they think all that's really silly. Right. So, yeah. so, I mean, it's like, it's so weird in that kind of sense, but so there's always been rules in this thing that you kind of follow the rules. We don't really know, believe you have to follow the rules, but so you got two different pieces. You got one of, okay, maybe this pleases God, but deep down, we're not even sure that God cares about that. Even the Pharisees. So really what it was is they thought everybody else was following the rules. Everybody else is going to follow the rules. You have to follow the rules. So when, even though what's really happening behind the scenes, everybody's kind of sneaking around doing their own thing. And so mm-hmm. uh, th- there's two issues going on. The first one was, this was public. So everybody yeah. can see it. <laughs> like they're going, don't you know that you actually grab that grain, put it in your pocket, and you go somewhere else and cook it, right? You can't do that in front of people. Like that's the reality. So one, the first thing is they're chastised there. How dare you do that in public? Don't you know we sin in private so that we can't be judged for it? So you got that one. But the, really what they're really attacking is not grabbing the food. It's the preparation of it, right? So they're grabbing it. So what's really interesting, it says rubbing it in their hands. That's a pretty significant thing that would have been corrected because it's the, you know, it's the threading, the, the, the kneading, the gathering, the sorting, the shearing, the, you know, all these different things. That is considered preparation. Now, we don't know if Jesus did it because it says while he was going through the green fields, his disciples plucked and ate. He didn't say he right. or they. So Jesus didn't even do this. So this is what's even more interesting is he's getting on to Jesus for what his disciples are doing. Like, can't you control them? better so this is so complicated so it just gives you a real understanding of kind of how scribes and pharisees viewed things it's no no you're the one in charge which means you're the rule follower but not only that you're in control which means everybody who is connected to you must also follow the rules and it's a reflection of you i mean i've experienced this over and over again in church work i can remember being a student pastor and i get anonymous letters from people telling me that students in the student ministry were drinking on a Friday night, and they go, "You can sell the, you can see your disciples by their fruit." This kind of stuff, and I'll go, "Oh my goodness!" Like just this crazy expectation that I would have been able to solve all that, and I couldn't even have a conversation with the person who was doing it because they wouldn't sign their name. And it's like there's just this, yeah, this part of us that just likes to correct and do those things, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's anger or bitterness or. What I what I think it is, what it sure seems like it is a lot of time, it actually is more about coveting. Like if I can't do that, you better not get to do it. Like I know people who yeah, yeah, yeah. won't won't tell you what they want for Christmas, but you know other people in the family that will go, Here's my list. And the people who won't say yeah. anything are really frustrated the people who do say something 
because they get what they want, but you don't. But the reason is because you didn't actually ask for it, right? And it's like, right. or people right. who were like, no one told me happy birthday. And I'm like, well, you didn't tell them it was your birthday. And someone else shows right. up. I'm one of these guys. Hey, it's my birthday. And you're like, how dare you do that? It's so arrogant. No one, I didn't do that. And like, but you're upset because you didn't, because you wish people would have said happy birthday. So it's just like this right. weird jealousy and coveting that happens. So these guys are like, I can't eat that grain right now. And you shouldn't be able to eat the grain. And so what do they do? They go to the one who can fix what they're frustrated with. Jesus is the leader, so make your disciples stop that. So he addresses that. They address that with them, and they're going, "Aha! Here's the thirty-nine lost. Here's the six that were just, you know, broken." So this is more about bitterness and control than it is about anything else, I think. And so they go to the one Jesus to get him to stop their disciples from having fun or doing things that they don't have the privilege of doing. Yeah. So this is, uh, I guess, just uh, my question is: Is this just out of jealousy, or is this because? You know, what we see is at the end of verse 11, I want to scroll over to it so that I, I get this right. Yeah. At the end of verse 11, it says, um, and it's at the end of the second Sabbath, it says, but they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. At some point in your message, you talked about, you know, sometimes we look for facts that just confirm what we already think. Yeah. Is that what they're doing here? Is it out of jealousy or is it out of like maybe anger and spite? And they're already halfway to furious and yeah. they just are looking for reasons to hate, hate on Jesus. Yeah. So I, I mean, I'm, I'm having to peer in and speculate. Right. Uh, but yeah, right. I mean, I, I feel comfortable doing that. I, I'm really good at judging people's intents and motives. That's kind of one of my, one of my gifts. Um, <laughs> but, uh, here's what, here's what I think. I, and I think this is the driving factor in all things. So think about this. Um, when you go back to Adam and Eve, they realize they're naked. And what was their emotion? Fear. Shame and yeah. fear. Fear. You're naked and you're afraid of being through what you're doing. Your naked body's going to get you. Like, like, why in the world is that so scary? But there's just something about yeah. the unknown in that. And so I just would guess. I mean, I think even as you relate to this really great book called DNA of Relationships by Gary Smalley, that talks about this fear cycle and fear dance that people do. You press a button on fear, and then all of a sudden you have this reaction. And so, so much of what drives us is fear. Right, and so yeah. if that's the case, what I can imagine is these scribes are looking at this and going, "I need my Pharisees not to go be Jesus's followers. Mm. They need to stay okay. here, right? So if they go and are Jesus's followers, that means I have less followers, which means I have less mm. influence, and I have less money, I have less, uh, you know, power, affluence, all those things. So it's all about this drive of going. I need to stay in control. So I can imagine a scribe going. You see that? Look how broken that is. You know how mad God is at them right now for doing that? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so now there's this conversation going, why do you let your disciples do that? Don't you know that God's going to be so angry? So there is this level of control in this. So the reason I think that's the case because I can't imagine what else would drive me to that much anger about making a man's yeah. hand get fixed. Unless, <laughs> right. unless you're afraid he's about to ruin your life. Unless you're afraid that he's going to take away everything that you that matters to you, so that seems like what you probably see here is there's just some yeah. panic from these religious leaders of going, we're about to lose control of everything. Which, by the way, you're seeing right now mm -hmm. in 2020 with even you know church attendance and a lot of people walking away from the church. Yeah. About two, about half the people who are going to church aren't going to church anymore, even participating in church. That's across the nation and globe, and there's some panic and all that of going, okay, what what do we yeah. do about this? Because there's so much else tied to it just beyond the mission. There's mortgages and you know yeah. ministries and you know affinities, all these different things. And so what I think what you're driving at here is now all of a sudden. Why would you not follow Jesus if you can do that on the Sabbath? Because your guy won't let you do that on the Sabbath. So now yeah, there's right, this right. this war between 
uh, what we call yokes are this expectations of the scribes or the religious leaders and their expectations of their disciples. Yeah. So then as we get into it, so Jesus responds, I feel like that, that makes sense. But then Jesus responds in a weird way, like talking about what David did and why was like, I guess it almost feels like it's not connected. Like what, and Jesus does this quite often, right? Like yeah. he, he answers with a parable or he answers in a way that you're like, huh? But yeah. what is, what do you think he's driving at in this text? And when he's talking about David? Yeah. So I think that's where speculation. I just want to be careful when I teach it on Sundays. It's like, okay, let me just drive it when I know it's saying, let's talk about that. But if yeah. you go back to this, this theory, right, that it's about fear of losing control, losing followers. Okay. So these Pharisees are fairly ignorant. They're learning some more and they're following the scribes as they have an understanding of religion. And religion is you follow the 39 laws of Sabbath or Shabbat, right? So you do those things. Right. Now, all of a sudden, someone else isn't doing those things. And so immediately you go, that's wrong. So this guy and his yoke and his little church is going, that's wrong, right? Because that's not what our religious leaders do. And, you know, okay, let's follow the ladder up to who the real religious leaders are. Now, you can get all the way to Moses if you want to, maybe Abraham. But let's just follow the ladder to the last couple of guys that they really liked. Well, the okay. ones is David. David's the warrior king. He's tough and he's mighty. And he, he's, you know, like he's, he's like a renaissance man. He can play a harp and he can dance, but he also can, uh, you know, murder people. And so like, you know, he knew the scriptures and he was, you know, he had emotional intelligence. Yeah. You know, like you're talking about a guy who really was pretty connected. And guess what? It was defined in the old Testament that he was a man after God's own heart. Right, so, right. so Jesus is going, okay. You guys are judging me because my followers are doing this. So you're following this scribe, this rule of school or thought. And let's just track up where that one comes from. Let's keep going on up, right? Keep going on up. And where do you land pretty soon? You land in the heroes of the faith, which is David. So he's going, here's what's interesting. You're yeah. correcting me right now. I've just made, you know, lame people walk, blind people see. I'm doing all sorts of crazy stuff. But you're going, I can't do that because you let him eat some grain. So let's actually go back to some other precedents where people in your little religious world have done the same thing. Oh, how about David? Yeah. Didn't David do this on the Sabbath? Not only do this on the Sabbath, what he actually did was beyond those rules. Not just rabbinical rules, literally. You can go back to, you know, Deuteronomy. And you could go in Exodus 25. You could go back to these places where it's very clear that you're not supposed to do that. And David did it. So why aren't you pitching a fit yeah. about that? It's the same argument that you still see right now. You can watch it on Twitter, right? How dare Rand Paul not get the vaccine when other people are? Why in the world did Mitch McConnell get to get the vaccine? And someone will go, well, AOC, she's only in her 30s and she got the vaccine. Why is she? Like, it's just like this weird argument from the political left and right. And so they just call it the hypocrisy from the other side. So he's just going, this is so weird that you're so upset with me. But like your man, David. He did this yeah, without yeah. actually taking a bath ahead of time. So I think it's more <laughs> that giving them a real legitimate counterexample to pause and go, why does this make me so angry? Why am I so bothered by this? It, well, obviously it can't be because the scriptures are the, what's detailing that this is wrong. So if it's not the scriptures, yeah. which is that, which is what I hold as true, because I'm looking at it as the finger pointing and I haven't seen this right, one right. point to, why is this, why does this bother me so bad? So that's where they get caught in this kind of, false yeah. hypocrisy and self-righteousness. And I feel like you did a great job on Sunday kind of explaining the backstory to the tabernacle, to kind of the consecration. And you just referred to it as like getting the bath. Like yeah. there were steps in a procedure that David just honestly violated. Like yeah. he didn't follow, didn't do. And so I, I you're pointing to them. And then I, I want to specifically, and I guess what I would say is if you're listening to this and I haven't heard that, 
again, go back and, and listen to that because I feel like you did a great job of explaining that. But then we get to verse five. Um, oh, and I guess I would also say that the Sabbath video was really this leads into. Yeah, I think this leads into my next question. Just verse Google five. Gospel Project uh, Sabbath if you want to watch that again. Gospel Project Sabbath. Yeah. And so verse five says, he said to them, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And what did he mean by that statement? Because then Luke goes into verse six, which is another Sabbath where he basically, yeah. he goes into a synagogue and he heals a man that has, you know, a misformed hand. Yeah. So really, really important here. And so I would say, uh, verse five is the crux of the whole talk, like, or the whole idea, yeah. not just this one of all the rules, right? If you want to understand this is, this is the don't follow the rules, follow the one who rules, right? So, yeah. I mean, like, Jesus says that he didn't give the sa- us for the Sabbath. He gave the Sabbath for us, right? So there's some benefit in resting ruling in different parts of the scriptures. And so we see those things. So what, 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 he, what he's really saying here, and this is so amazing to me. So we've already jumped back 1,000 years to David's lifetime or 900 years. And then we also can jump back 1,500 years to Moses and, you know, Exodus when this, you know, these face breads or bread of the face, uh, you know, the show bread show up. And so we're already seeing some of that. And again, we see Jesus give this title to himself, which he's going to do multiple times. I think it's 25 times in the Gospel of Luke, 83 times I quoted in in the Gospels where he actually refers to himself as the Son of Man. So he's talking about him being a human. So that means God's presence came to do everything that we couldn't. That's the whole idea of the Son of Man. This is Daniel's vision and his dreams is that boy we can't follow the rules we keep wrecking it that's literally what the vision is and yet there will be one who's like us who will be able to overcome all that so we understand that the son of man is the one who overcomes all of that so it's interesting as he goes the son of man is the one who's gonna be able to follow the rules but not only is he gonna be able to follow the rules he's actually the lord of the rules so this isn't that he's going yeah who cares about the rules he's going no i came to do the rules perfectly in the way that my dad and i when we drew them up we designed them, right? So yeah. you have you have offered speculation and ideas of what you think God's going to do it. But you know, when I sat down and wrote these <laughs> rules with Dad, actually, he, he actually goes through this. He goes, let me give you an example. Not here, but he does other things. Like when I say don't uh, commit adultery, here's what Dad and I yeah. were actually thinking. We're actually saying <laughs> you shouldn't even lust, right? Not it. And yeah. when we say don't murder, let me just be real clear. Here's actually what we were thinking. We were thinking, don't even have hate in your heart. So he even doubles down and goes, the rules are even harder than you think they are, right? And so now he's saying, this, I'm the one, the son of man, the one that was always promised, the one who would come from Genesis chapter 3, from the woman's seed, who would also be the God himself who would resolve it. I am the one who was with dad in the beginning, writing the rules and creating the rules. So this isn't I'm saying don't follow the yeah. rules. I'm saying I am the rules, right? And so yeah, yeah. if this is the way we're going to see the Sabbath, it's about you entering into my presence. Well, look around you. What are all these people doing right now? They're entering my presence. Yeah. Are they working right now? Nope. They're hanging with me, which is the whole goal of the gospel. The whole goal of the gospel is we would be with God forever with him. And so they're going, right. he, they're actually, they are participating fully in what the Sabbath should look like in his presence and in his joy of their master right there. Mm-hmm. And so when he's saying, I'm the, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. He is not, he's not throwing the, the rules out. He is. Yeah. He is giving us some real understanding that he's given them the picture of what it looks like to participate in the, the life that God had for them now and for all yeah. eternity. So he's going, don't follow the rules. Follow the one who rules. And here's the good news. If you follow yeah. the one who rules, you're always going to be in the spot of doing the next right thing. right? This is not about the rules. It's about what's the right thing to do. And if you're following the one who rules, you're always going to be doing the right thing at the right time. So that's, I think, the crux yeah. of the message. Not that the rules are bad. Yeah. 
But we can't interpret the rules without understanding the, the one who writes the rules. Yeah. And I we can't understand like the one who writes the rules unless we spend time with that person. Right? And so yeah. there is this like we actually have to sit yeah. still with them. And so these Pharisees are getting on to them and going, You don't understand this. The only way you're gonna understand these rules is if you spend time with the, the, the one who came up with the rules and wrote the right. rules. So you have me available to you instead of asking and participating, you're judging yeah. and critiquing. So Yeah. I feel like as we go on with that kind of six through eleven. Um, it's interesting. Verse seven says, and the scribes and the Pharisees watched to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. Like they were waiting for their, yeah. their opportunity to pounce and out. say, Hey, they got their phones out. Yeah. That's right. So they might find a reason to accuse him. And, but Jesus knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with a withered hand, come and stand here. He rose. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, what is lawful on the Sabbath to do, to do good or to do harm to save or to destroy it? And I love that because one of the things that you pointed out on Sunday was that Jesus makes it a binary decision, right? Yeah. It's either yes or no, like good or bad, which, which is it? And I think that there's a simplicity, not the go- that the gospel is. There's a, I think you see Jesus saying that what to do good or to do, to do evil, like to do harm, to save a life or to destroy it. Um, and then Jesus just simply tells him, stretch out your hand. And he did so when it was restored. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's beautiful. I guess my question in that is, is what did Jesus actually do wrong in that? Like if it, he didn't actually like, you know, take his hand and stretch it out or I don't know, do work. He just simply spoke and it was healed. Even the 39 laws or rules that they had about work. How did he break that? I, I guess is my question. Yeah, so, um, I mean, I uh, got a couple of different things. One, I, I'm looking back through them right now. One of them maybe is erasing, <laughs> like, this idea that he erased okay. this man's ailment. Another one to be transferring, that literally means between domains, like this idea of you can't take a couch from your house to the neighbor's house on the Sabbath kind of thing. And so he's going, you got a bad hand, let me inject a good one in you. Like, maybe there's some things they can pick apart there. But ultimately, like, in terms of, participating in healing in any way it was only only in, in a matter of life and death so like jesus should not have even participated like no one would have wanted no one would have prayed with that guy on that day they would have done nothing going come okay. back the next day we don't do that on the sabbath right so so i think you got two things you're, you're exactly right he doesn't actually do anything he just says hey raise your hand yeah, yeah. that's it so yeah maybe, right maybe he's aiding and abetting sin like he told the guy to raise his hand <laughs> right Shame on Jesus. So maybe that's what it is. Like, you made him do that. But, you told him to do that. But they so, could walk a certain amount of distance, right? Like, so is raising the hand more strenuous than walking? Well, a mile was allowed, but two was not or something? Yeah. So, I mean, it's also, I mean, it's like, yeah. And see, this is where we get with the, you know, the Amish or whatever. And then we're like nitpicking the stuff. But for them, it was yeah, a black and yeah. white. This isn't life or death. They shouldn't do it. Period. No engagement okay. of this. This isn't life or death. And so that's where I think it's just really important to go. This idea that Jesus only cares about on our pain if it is life or death is yeah. is is a life in the pits of hell. Like the idea that, oh, we can't bring yeah. God this problem, right? Like I can't talk yeah. to God about how sad I am that I'm not going to see my grandkids for Christmas because other people are dying, right? No, like yeah. he cares about that. Like significantly, right. the yeah. goal is he wants you to have his presence and enjoy his rest forever. And so anything that's yeah. outside of that grieves God. So this man has a hand that doesn't work. And I'm obviously going to think, but it is grievous to God because that is not how he designed us to enjoy life. So anything that still kills or destroys 
life or joy is the opposite of what God came to do. Jesus tells that. I came to give you life and life to the fullest. So that means in all ways, at all times, that's what God, Jesus, is trying to usher in in our life through his spirit. Always. There's never a time he's going, well, I hope bad things happen. Well, you'll learn from this. Good, good, good. He's not going to waste it. But he's not trying to create more pain or sorrow. So he sees an opportunity in a moment to show that he's over the rules, that he's Lord of them, and also to meet a person exactly where they are. And that, what I do want to point out here is there is someone else that's indicted or should be indicted in this, and this is the man, which is so beautiful. Yeah, like, right. he's going, oh, do I raise my hand? Like, can I? Like, why don't we get, yeah. get kicked out of the synagogue? I mean, there is a cost right. for him on yeah. this. And so it is important to go, there's a cost to obeying God. So a couple mm-hmm. lessons in that is, one, it is binary. We're either covering up or uncovering value at all times. And there is a cost. Mm-hmm. There is a cost. There is a relational cost to obeying Jesus. That's just the reality of it. Now, yeah. do you think the guy regretted raising his hand? Absolutely not. Was it the right and the most appropriate thing to do? That was a rule, by the way. It was a command from God. Yeah. You know, lift your hand up. So he yeah, followed right. the rules. Well, he's not supposed to follow that rule. He's supposed to follow a different rule. How do you know which rule to follow? Well, it's not about the rule. It's about the ruler. It's about the one who rules. And so he hears from the one who rules. And, of course, he does what he says. There's a cost, but yeah. there is definitely a, a, a gain as a result of the sacrifice. So there's a lot to yeah. learn in that. And so I was going, hey, it makes sense that we would pay attention and go, hey, the one who rules, would you please give us guidance on how we operate in this? Like, it makes sense that we're yeah. wrestling with that right now as we deal with masks and inside versus yeah. outside it's like i understand all that and i'm not trying to discount any of that but at some point we have to go and listen to the one who rules and do what he says not try to speculate right. about what he's going to say but go open up the scriptures and follow him like i was just listening to a pastor and i, I don't mean to i won't name them but they had i mean it was it was, a, it was political and they're like let me tell you what you should do at christmas and they asked them, and the goal was to tell churches they shouldn't meet over christmas and i understand some of the reasons for that but they asked this pastor um, what do you think Jesus thinks? And, you know, she, she or he, sorry, uh, they um, said, well, the whole goal is to wonder what would Jesus do? So what I'll tell you exactly what Jesus would do is Jesus would socially distant right now and keep people safe. He would stay away from people. And I like was in, I was enraged. <laughs> like there's not a single time in the scriptures where Jesus stays away from the people unless he's with his father. Right. And so it's this idea that they leverage that for whatever your whatever your political angle is, not that I'm saying that we should go discount all that stuff. But the idea that Jesus is just staying away over Christmas is like, why? Right? Yeah. And so, like, the whole idea is he ushered himself in. So where is Jesus to be found? I don't know. you got to ask him. And then you got to pursue that. And so, God, you're the one who rules. Would you speak to us? And then would you give us the courage to actually do what you say? Wisdom and courage. Those are the two things we need yeah. this Christmas season. Yeah, I, I don't know how much time we actually have left if we need to start wrapping up now or not. But I feel like the last two things that I had written down was – really appreciated the question because it, it allows me to internalize in this start process. You asked two questions. You said, how do you respond when good happens to someone else? And you gave specifics like your ex, your enemy, other people, you know, promotions for others at your job placement, maybe not you. And then you said, how do, how do we respond when God moves? So I feel like those were two great questions to make us begin to internalize and to begin to think through where we are at. Are we more like the Pharisees and the scribes or are we more like the man whose hand was restored and yeah. we're being obedient to the rule maker, not just following the rules as, as what you've already said. Yeah. So there's a good litmus for that. Like, I mean, there's been pain for all of us this year. I've had some, had some stuff yeah. happen that felt really unjust and unjust. And some, one of the questions I got to ask myself is God, you actually tell us to pray for those who curse you and pray yeah. blessings for them. 
the real question is, can can you do that? Like, can you actually ask God to bless your enemies? Mm-hmm. Right now, pour blessings out on them right this second. And, and yeah. but beyond that, can you play the tape forward and imagine your response if God actually blesses them? Can, yeah. So can I pray that and can I be pleased with that? And I, I, I can tell you after months of wrestling through this, I can go, yep, yep, I can pray it. Boy, do I. And boy, can I be pleased with that, right? It's just uh, – and that is a transformation of a heart to be able to do that. So I think those yeah. are some good questions go, this Christmas, for those who have really hurt you, can you pray that God would bless them? Can you pray for those who curse you? Can you pray blessings for them? And then would you be okay to see God actually respond in that way? If not, yeah. if not, then I think we got to go. Lord, we, we need your help getting this Pharisee out of us. We need your help yeah. getting this this the word he uses this fury out of us. This desire yeah. to see pain and sorrow for people. Like God loves our enemies, and we should too. And so I do think it, it is so otherworldly and changing it. But I think when we see when good things happen to people we like or don't like, our response to that is a pretty good indication of how we view God and his goodness, right? Because there's common grace. He gives it to all people. The fact that every single human that's still alive is living right in a second and breathing is a gift from God. And he has decided to let people in death row and let us both breathe. So why is that for today? Well, the reason being is he's a good God and wants to offer good gifts. Yeah. Um, Well, uh, I've got nothing else. Is there any other thoughts that you had or anything that you wanted to share before we wrap up? Yeah. Last thing I'll share here is uh, we're home for the holidays this Sunday, yep. but it doesn't mean we're off church. Like it's going to be a really right. significant moment. Really excited about the, the material. Oh man, is it shaping up really beautifully? And it really is. We see um, these first followers get going, and so what you see is this transition from come and see and go and do. Which is so I'm really excited. Mm-hmm. I would ask that you show up this weekend at your home, invite your friends, particularly anybody who's going. To, do I engage with the church in 2021? Because this would kind of be the primer to talk about where God has taken us from come and see to go and do. It's a lot harder to invite people to come and see right now, but it's not too hard to go and do. And so this is the come in, they'll yep. send out. So it's, I'll be really excited to kind of, if you're wondering where we're going as a church, really good time to sit in your PJs with a cup of coffee and really, really process uh, uh, yeah. where I think God's taken us. And so this is where I'm going. You know, we got to hear from God and do what he says. I think we've heard from God. So we're going to talk about it this weekend, and then the challenge is going to be go and do as he says. So would awesome. you please, please join us this Sunday at 9 o'clock, 1045, or 5 o'clock. Yeah. And then so, Christmas Eve. Yep. Go for yeah. It. So I uh, just want to say thank you, everybody, for being part of us. Thank you for hanging with us as we had some tech issues and started a little bit later. Um, yeah, if you have any questions, by all means, please, we would love to hear those questions. Over time at clcfamily.church, you can email us. Text the church, 610-869-2140. Um, or connect to, to us on our website, clcfamily.church. Um, yeah, we hope that you are blessed and encouraged by this, and we hope to see you next week. Thanks see for ya. coming. <laughs>